for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. It's great to be with you. Um, it's fantastic to be here. Um, my name's Dave. I'm a full-time elder at uh, The Vine in Maidstone. Um, I never set out to be an elder, to be honest. Um, I started my career working for the NHS um, in a hospital, and then I ended up in social services for a while before I finally spent the last 15 years of my career before I became an elder at The Vine, um, working for the probation service. So that's my, my history, if you like. Um, I started with Martin at The Vine probably about 10 years ago. It was called the Beacon Church then, um, and we've been there ever since. I'm married to Sue. We've got two kids, um, Ben and Elia, and they're both here today. I think they're upstairs, so that's really good. Oh, this day is a quite a special day, actually. Um, on this day in 1984, according to my um, wonderful um, email, well, internet, um, McDonald's made its 50 billionth hamburger. Um, and in 1985, Microsoft issued Windows 1, for those of us that can remember Windows 1. And you think, well, that's, that's not particularly special. Um, it is a special day for me because in 1999, on this day, the 20th of November, I married Sue. Um, so you can ask your question, why is he here? Um, <laughs> uh, Sue's got an appointment later today as well so we decided we're going to celebrate tomorrow so that's why but we've been married for 17 years so, um, and some of you are in this room there's one or two people who are actually there um, including us um, which was great <laughs> let's pray shall we Father I thank you for your amazing grace Lord your amazing love for us Lord you have taken us from nowhere and given us everything And Jesus, we thank you today that we stand before you cleansed and righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Father, I really pray that you'd help me convey some of your heart today for the broken world and for the world in which we live. Lord, I really pray that you would help me through your spirit, Lord, to bring your heart to this place in in so many ways, Lord. You've got so much to say to the broken world out there. And Father, your instrument is your church. So, Father, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wasn't really given um, a passage um, other than you're looking through the book of Philippians. I looked down the list, and um, um, there wasn't a a little passage next to my name, so I thought, oh, that's great. Um, I don't have to stick to one thing. However, I I did feel drawn um, to Philippians 2. And uh, the beginning 11 verses of Philippians 2. And I'm just going to read that to you. I believe it's really important when we preach to read the the words that are in the Bible. Because actually it's the words in the Bible that that get into our heart. Um, I can say lots of words and I will use lots of words today. But I really want you to listen to these words. Because these are really important. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests 
of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's just an amazing passage of scripture. Um, one of the most amazing passages of scripture in the Bible. The whole Bible is full of amazing passages of scripture. But that particular passage, I think, just sums up who Jesus really was. It's all about his humility, his servant nature, his willingness to put our needs above his own. That's what humility is all about. Rick Warren, um, famous American preacher, said it like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's what it's about. It's not thinking that you're nothing, but it is thinking about others. That's true humility, and that's Jesus. That's his character. As I was praying for you guys, I I felt that there were two particular things that he laid on my heart um, that I felt I needed to come and encourage you with. Um, and these are two things that you'll think, well, they're obvious. But let's just, let's just push into this. The two things I, I want to say are these things. You need to remember that you are loved by God. You are loved. You are deeply, deeply loved by God. And the second thing I want to mention is some stuff around forgiveness and unforgiveness. And we're going to push into both of those, those things very briefly. And then at the end, I want to talk about some of the impact that having those two things in our lives has on other people. The key to anything worth cultivating, you're in a cultivating series at the moment, the key to anything worth cultivating in our lives is the building of our relationship with Jesus. Nothing else will cultivate anything of any good in our lives if we're not cultivating the very core of our relationship with Jesus, pressing into that relationship is so key. Jesus has won an amazing victory for us through his death and through his resurrection. In fact, Richard referred to the passage earlier, the passage in Hebrews 12 that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Weariness and faint-heartedness occurs when we take our eyes off Jesus. When we don't fix our eyes on him, that's when we get faint-hearted. That's when we get weary. That's when we start to try and do stuff 
in our own strength. So I want to talk a little bit about those things today. Let's think about love. I came today with a very simple word with you, for you, really. I had this, this word for us at the Vine a couple of years ago, um, and it came back to me as I was praying for you, and it's quite simply this. God just impressed on my heart to tell you that he loves you. That he loves you. You know, I meet many Christians who simply find that the hardest thing to accept. They know it in their mind. They've been told it so many times. They can tell you all the Bible verses that relate to God loving them. But actually in their heart, they struggle to accept his love and his care. Just think for a minute, when was the last time that you were so overwhelmed with God's love that it just blew you away? When did that happen for you in your life? It's not about a gooey feeling. We can all get those. I can stand here this morning and I can sing some of my favourite songs. One of my favourite songs, that song about the cornerstone, it's one of my favourite songs. It does something in me, gives me a nice, oh, that is amazing. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about a really deep impact as God's love overwhelms you and surrounds you. It is amazing. Amazing Grace does that to me. That song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But I just say the words. I I start to get emotional. Because I think, God, you've rescued me. You've taken hold of a life that was lost, actually. And you've brought me back to an amazing place. And you're not finished yet. I'm still a work in progress. You know, we can get so familiar with saying to each other, yeah, God loves you. And we go, yeah, that's great. Thanks very much. The impact is lost. God wants you to have an impact of an encounter with him that blows your mind and blows your heart. That's what he wants to do. Forget every other person in this room. Just close your eyes for just a second. You're the only person here. And God wants to talk to you. I love you, says the Lord God Almighty. I love you. He's quite simply our rescuer and he's our redeemer. Many don't see God as that. Many see God as like a head teacher kind of character. We're in a school, head teacher type character. Or a strict judge just waiting to trip us up. That's not the God I know of the Bible. That's not the God that came to me. When I was 17, I I gave up my Christian life and I thought I could do it on my own. And I went off and I left my my family home. Um, I gave up on the relationship with my mum and dad, really. Um, And for nine years, I wandered in the wilderness. Let's just say that. Um, I spent nine years as a long-haired biker. I know you're going to find that quite hard to believe. But that was me. I got into the scene that bikers get into, which is inevitably around drink and drugs and all those kinds of things. And you know, in the nine years that I pursued that, God cared for me. He pursued me. 
I lost many good friends through alcohol and through drugs. I don't give any glory to those nine years. But I do know that God saved me. And he brought me back to a new place. And he did it very simply, actually. I was working in a hospital, in a psychiatric hospital, and the hospital chaplain came to see us uh, as, a, as a, uh, a unit that I was working on. And just in the, middle of our convers- in the middle of what he was doing, he just turned to me and he said, your name's Dave, isn't it? And I said, yes. He said, I've got a little word for you that I think God wants to lay on your heart. And me being quite arrogant, full of pride, nowhere near God, wasn't even looking for him really, um, just ignored him pretty much. But he gave me the bit of paper. Two weeks later, I was feeling really, really low, actually. Um, a number of things had happened in my life feeling really almost suicidal. And I remember getting this piece of paper out of my pocket and reading, finding a Bible and reading the verses. And it was all about grace. He gave me these words. He said, all were objects of wrath, but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. And I broke down and I cried and I cried and I cried. And God met me on my own in a little room with no one around. It's great fun then trying to find a church when you're a long-haired biker. <laughs> it's amazing how it almost like when you walk into the church, the parting of the Red Sea, it was almost like that experience. <laughs> but that's what God did. And he rescued me and he redeemed me. In fact, when I was in Egypt last week, or a couple of weeks ago actually, um, God gave me a little poem. And uh, it's all about his names and... Uh, I thought I'd read it to you because we need to understand who God really is. God is love. But this is who God is. King of kings, Prince of peace, Jehovah Jireh, great high priest, shepherd, redeemer, anointed one, Abba father, risen son, wonderful counsellor, cornerstone, creator, restorer, God alone, the rock, the Lord, El Shabbai, Alpha and Omega, Adonai, Ancient of Days, Consuming Fire, Bread of Life, Our Heart's Desire, Comforter, Jesus of Galilee, A Sacrifice to Set Us Free, Friend, Saviour and Coming King, Lamb and Lion, Salvation Spring, King of Heaven, Precious Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, giver of life, the architect, heaven's champion, perfect. That's who God is. That's just my attempt at trying to describe who he is. He's got so many names. But the God that I know is a God of love and he's a God of rescues. I just believe that we can't cultivate much of a love for others if we don't know that we are so loved ourselves. We are so loved by God. We are so loved. He is so wonderful. He asks us to do two simple things, actually. (coughs) Love him and love others. Knowing that you're precious, I believe, makes that journey that much easier. You know, if you don't like yourself... I didn't like myself. If you don't like yourself, you'll find it hard to love others. If you can't see how much God has forgiven you, 
you'll find it hard to forgive others. The world that we live in develops a culture around possessions and status and all those things. That's not how God sees you. God loves you despite knowing everything about you. Everything. All that you've done, all that you've thought, all that you've ever thought. That's what he knows. I couldn't sum this up, so I, I looked to, um, to Packer to help me with this. And uh, he gave me this wonderful quote. Not he personally, but I looked it up and there it was. Um, so this is the quote. It's quite a long quote, but I really want to read it to you because it really underlines what I'm trying to say to you. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the final analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is not off me or his attention is distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care for me falters. This is momentous knowledge. I think that slightly underscores it. There is unspeakable comfort the sort of comfort that energises in knowing that God constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my God. Good. There is tremendous relief. This is the crux of it. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the very worst about me. So that no discovery... No discovery now can disillusion him about me in the same way that I am so disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see. And that he sees more corruption in me than which I see myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God. In the thought for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend. That's the God that I know. That's the God that we need to know. He knows us. He knows everything about me. He knows what I've done. He knows the very worst that I got up to and continue to get up to sometimes because I'm not a perfect person. He, he, he knows everything that I think and yet he still loves me. He can't be disillusioned with me. He's not going to turn around and say, well, that was a bit of a surprise. I didn't realise you were going to do that. That's not the God we know. The God we have knows us. Inside out. Despite what we do, or what we say, or what we think, he still wants to know us, and he wants to love us, and he's paid a great price for that to happen. 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's the promise that's written over your life if you know him today. So often I hear people say, I'm not worthy of God's love. He couldn't love me if he knew all about me. (laughs) He knows all about you. Their experience of love is shaped by human experience, which, to be honest, even if it's the very best kind of love, is a pale insignificance as to how much God loves you. You are so precious to him. We need to comprehend this if we're going to love others. We really do. We have a choice to make, to accept his love and to allow him to really transform us. My question for myself and for you, tomorrow morning, when the pressures of life kick in, when you're trying desperately to get out of the door to go to work, kids are screaming, your partner's telling you about 50 things that you need to do, you're trying to get out the door and you trip over the cat or the dog... Are you still going to be falling head over heels in love with God tomorrow morning? Because I can tell you one thing. He's falling head over heels in love with you. That's the God we have. The second thing um, we need to understand that's linked to that is around forgiveness. And I'm not going to speak for a very long time about that because I know Graham, I think, spoke about forgiveness um, either last week or at some point. But I think this is a significant issue for the church. I think it's one of the biggest issues, actually, for the church today. And it's linked to understanding God's love for us. Forgiveness, essentially, is twofold in that it's about us seeking forgiveness and uh, receiving that forgiveness. And then it's about forgiving others. And both of those things have a massive impact on our ability to really look out for and care for and love others. I haven't really got a huge amount of time But if you read Luke 7, uh, Jesus is talking to Simon. He tells him that, simply, very simply, that he that's received much forgiveness will love much. And he that receives little forgiveness will love little. And I think that's the heart of forgiveness. You know, we have been forgiven a huge amount by Jesus. You may think that your life hasn't been as colourful as mine. Maybe it's uh, more colourful than mine. But God is a God who forgives. If we turn to him, that's his promise. (coughs) C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Quite simply, God only has one measure of sin. And the wages of sin is death. It's quite simple. We have been forgiven the inexcusable. That's our position. And if that's true, that God forgives us our sins, then we can't keep going back to them and telling him we're no good. Again, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. We're not. He is the judge and him alone. Another person um, describes forgiveness like this. I don't have a a name for this person, but they said this. Last night, I forgave all those who'd hurt me. 
I lost the world and gained the universe. That's what happens when you forgive. And I know how painful forgiveness can be. When we forgive, we give up things. We give up anger. We give up resentment. We give up hatred. We give up a desire for revenge. We give up bitterness. We give up regrets. We allow God to replace these things with his peace, his joy, his strength, his assurance that he will deal with the injustices that have been brought into our lives. When I was working in the probation service, we did some work around restorative justice. And uh, restorative justice is about facing an offender with somebody who has been a victim of crime. And uh, there was one particular lady whose um, daughter had been killed um, in a motor accident, motor car accident, by a drunk driver. And uh, she was facing this particular offender who had committed this act that had basically robbed her of a life with her daughter, seeing her daughter grow up. And she said these words, which have kind of followed me everywhere, really. She said, I will not allow the emptiness of loss to be filled by those feelings as they will rob me of my memories of my daughter. You see, when we give up something, we gain something else. We gain freedom. And what she was saying was, I don't want my past and the past that has happened to me and how awful it is and the loss that I feel. I don't want the memories of my daughter to be robbed by the anxiety and the anger and the frustration that I feel towards this person. I'm choosing to do something else because I want the memories of my daughter to be the ones that That's what I pursue. In my experience, what we gain far outweighs what we give up. But we're human. And uh, that desire for revenge, that desire for anger, all those things, they really can consume us. The problem with that is that they consume us so much. And we can be lost in that. Something that starts off quite small can actually be brought into something that's much bigger if we don't deal with anger and frustration towards those who hurt us. We don't have to go and see them to do that. Actually, it's about us and God. Forgiveness is between us and God. We're letting ourselves off the hook in that sense. When we give up the things that are really difficult for us and we trust God with those things, then actually what happens is we're off the hook. The other person who's offended us isn't off the hook because they still have to face God. And God is says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We have to trust him that he will deal with those issues. Why have I concentrated on these two things when my title has been about cultivating looking out for others. Primarily because I believe that the church is the chosen instrument and witness to the world about God's love. If we cannot understand God's love for us, then we don't have much to 
bring to the world. We really need to grasp hold of just how high, how deep, how amazing is God's love for us. And that includes understanding forgiveness. It understands that we need to forgive. And that's so hard. Some of the people I've dealt with in my life have had incredibly broken lives. Abuse, neglect. I've I've never experienced some of those things. I can't even begin to imagine the pain. But I do know this. God knows. And he understands pain. It's not easy to love people who are not like ourselves or who have a different set of values to our own. It's not easy to think of others if we've been hurt by people in the past. It's very easy, actually, to step into judgment. Look at what they've done. How awful is that? I'm good in comparison to them. Thank goodness that God's the judge and not us. Come back to that in a little while. Pursuit of our relationship with God is key to seeing Jesus build his his church. And it's him that builds the church. Trusting him when we don't see the whole thing. Knowing he loves us. Accepting his forgiveness for us and forgiving others. Trusting that in all these things he knows better and he has a plan. That he is the judge of these things. And the reason that that's so important is so that we then get to play the part that he does call us to. The part for this generation to go into all the world and make disciples. To reach the lost in this generation that we allow living. I've got a little quote from Brother Andrew. He says, the work of the church is not survival. She exists to fulfill the Great Commission. That's the work of the church. We're not here to survive. We're not here to just give ourselves on a pat on the back. We're here because we've got a mission. And the mission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world. That's everywhere. That's every part of it. There's no place where we're off limit to go. There's no people that are off limits in our lives. My heart, and I'm sure yours, is to lead a life that is worthy of the calling that he's placed upon us. I'm sure that's your heart. It really takes courage to do that. Can we play my first clip? The um, LA um, one. So when we came to LA when I was 20, I just thought, you know, I came from a big church, my father, um, in Phoenix, Arizona. I thought, man, I'm going to come here, we're just going to build a big church in the middle of the city. And then we got here, I think God said, okay, you can think you're going to do that, but let me get you here and show you really what you're really going to be doing. And then God just spoke to our heart, and that is to build people first, then he would build the church. So we're home to about 273 different outreach ministries. It's a 24-hour campus. We have people all hours of the day. People that are coming off the streets have drug addiction that will come in, maybe go through detox. The reality is some of these cases might take three years to rebuild a life, but we're patient. We don't put any timetable on it. Some might need four months to save rent and go back into life again. Great. Some might need a few years. You got some of the most notorious gangs that run right through here all the way down to South Central. You got hundreds of people out there every day serving. 
I mean, I can't even believe how different it was since 1996 in this place. It's been so transformed. It's been one of the high points in the whole city. In a day where churches are moving out into the suburbs, we did the opposite, moved back in. Staying in the community is the most important thing in building relationships and not going anywhere. Being the consistent force in people's lives because the gangs are consistent, the dealers are consistent, you know, and whoever stays longer in the community wins the battle for influence. At the end of the day, it's not about your potential, it's not about what you can do. It's about daring to believe in what God can do through you as you make a difference and set out to make a change. When I first uh, encountered um, the Dream Center in L.A., he's written a number of different books, but basically God just laid on his heart the lost. And he moved to L.A., and he didn't really know what he was going to do. And he thought he had an idea. But God just completely changed that. This is a church now that runs, as he said, 273 different ministries from one church. Um, I don't say that as something that we should all aspire to do because every community is different. Every community is different. But what he said at the end of that clip is really, really significant. Daring to believe what God can do through you. That's the crux of what we need to get to. If we want to serve others, then we've got to dare to believe that God can use us, that he can use us in the realms and the communities in which we operate. But we've got to trust him to do that. It's not about us at the end of the day. It's about God. It's about God acting through us, us being open to him open to what he wants us to do. And it will be really challenging. It will be really, really challenging. I've worked in a number of different places um, across the UK in different, um, with different groups of people. And I remember the first time that I walked into um, a prison in London um, and I was going to meet somebody to do um, some assessment work for them. They were in prison for a very long time. They committed quite a serious offence. In fact, they were a life sentence prisoner, which basically means that they'd they'd received a life sentence. And as I was going into the prison, I remember having read his notes, thinking, well, he's really dreadful. He's done some awful things. Um, How on earth can I begin a conversation with this guy? And do you know what God said to me as I walked into that church? into that prison he said I love him and I was like I don't get that I sat down and I started to talk to this man and he told me, told me that 10 years into his sentence he'd found God and that Jesus loved him and that was it broke me actually who am I to stand in front of somebody and say they're not worthy of his love. Whatever they've done, really, really hard. Pulls on all your heartstrings. Certainly pulled on mine. But God wants us to be counterculture. He wants us to think differently from the world. If we're going to love others, we've got to be counterculture. 
Culture says, lock him up, throw away the key, and never let him out in the light of day again. And there may be a good reason for that. I did quite a lot of risk assessment work, and some people we can't let out of prison because they are dangerous. But who am I to say that this man is not worthy of God's love? Here's a little quote from Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? If you haven't read it, am I allowed to make a book recommendation? Um, Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace? I really seriously read that book. It will blow your mind. This is, uh, this is a quote from it. Christians, that's us, by the way, if you know God, should work harder towards establishing colonies of the kingdom that point to our true home. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it, rather than a window revealing a different way. If the world despises a notorious sinner, the church will love her. If the world cuts off aid to the poor and the suffering, the church will offer food and healing. If the world oppresses, the church will raise up the oppressed. If the world shames a social outcast, the church will proclaim God's reconciling love. If the world seeks profit and self-fulfilment, the church seeks sacrifice and service. If the world demands retribution, the church dispenses grace. If the world splinters into fractions, the church joins together in unity. If the world destroys its enemies, the church loves them. That, at least, is the vision of the church in the New Testament. A colony of heaven in a hostile world. I read those words, I read that book when I first took my first trip to Egypt, um, when I first became an elder at the Vine. And um, that particular passage has transformed my thinking about what the church is about. Um, And I've read through parts of the New Testament that also underline what's in this particular passage from Yancey. But I really think it's something for us to really grab hold of. If we really want to make a difference, we've got to think differently from the world. The world has a view of people, and that view of people tends to be based on whether they have a high status, whether they have possessions, it's those kinds of things. And if they don't have those things, and they've done something wrong, or they've, somehow we, just want to, we, we don't want to love those people. That's not who the church is called to. Actually, Jesus said, I haven't come for the perfect I haven't come for those who have got it all together. I've come for the broken and the lost. I don't know about you, but I was broken and lost. That's who Jesus wants to have impact on us. And we can think, but that's such a big thing. How, do I, how can I do that? How can I bring what I have to this? Mother Teresa managed it in Calcutta. She said this, If you can't feed 100 people, feed just one. If you can't feed 100 people, if you can't do what the LA Dream Centre does, then do what you can do. I can't do what the LA Dream Centre does. I wouldn't even be able to keep up with it. And we do quite a lot at the Vine. But that's not the point. Do what God is asking you to do. 
Give what you have. She also said this, if we pray, we will believe. If we believe, we will love. And if we love, we will serve. That's God's heart for us. That's God's heart for his church. That's God's heart for my life as I do what I do at the vine. She underlined all that with saying this, every person that you come across, every person that you seek to help is Jesus in disguise. That kind of blows your mind when you start to think of it in those terms. Because if everyone is Jesus in disguise, my am I? Have I got a long way to go? Can we play the other clip, please?
Danke für den Eimer. Schönen Tag dir noch. They're not particularly a Christian video, and there's some notes on it online if you look up the clip. Um, but basically, I played that video because it's about making a change. We have a choice, actually, as to whether we look away or whether we step forward and say, God, use me in this space. God, you have, you have blessed me. You have taken my life, and you have got hold of it, and you have rescued me. And it doesn't matter what our little bit is that we can give, but we can give into the lives of others. A simple hug, a simple listening ear. Do you know a dying art in the world is people listening? People are very willing to talk. Very few people are willing to listen. And you can be that listening person. Do you know, I remember Tony, one of our elders at um, the Vine, often telling me that often when people come round to see him, uh, they come round and they tell all this stuff, they say all this stuff um, to him. And before he's able to get a word in, they say, uh, thank you very much for listening, I feel so much better. And then they get up and leave. <laughs> Do you know, that, that is it. Sometimes people just have, don't have the opportunity to speak to somebody about what's going on in their life. They just want somebody to hear their voice. That's giving to people. That's thinking of others. You know, one of the greatest things that we can give to other people is time, actually. It doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about resources. Time is what other people need. And you can make that difference. God has made time for you. And you can make time for others. So how would you respond? How will you respond? It takes courage to step out of the comfort zones that we often place ourselves in. It is a, it is a question for us as church. If people are in our communities and their lives are broken, where can they find hope if it's not in the church? Where, where is that place? But it comes back to that challenge. I love them. Just a couple of quotes, just to finish you, finish you off, finish me off. God doesn't require us to succeed. He only requires us to try. So often we think that our success is about success. No. Our success is trying. Persevere. Keep going. Step into it. Jesus is the hope of the world. And he has brought me at a great price. So what's he asking you to change today? Is he asking you to understand his love for you? To accept that love? Is he asking you to forgive yourself a bit more than maybe you've done in the past? Is he asking you to forgive others? Is he asking you to step out and hear his voice and having the courage to follow his plan? 
What's he asking you to give up so that he can bless you and put stuff into you? Jim Elliot, the, the great missionary to Ecuador, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's our position in Christ. We gain hugely when we give up on some of the things that we think are precious, but they're really not. The things we need to might give up are fear, maybe believing the lies of the enemy, maybe beating ourselves up and maybe beating others up. Cultivating a culture of looking out for others means embracing his love for you, fixing your eyes on him in all aspects of your life, in your marriage, in your work life, with friends, trusting him when people hurt you and me, that he will take care of that, walking in freedom with others around you, seeking his plan and his, his purpose for you, and having courage and the daring to believe what he can do through you. I'd like to pray a prayer over you guys. It's a prayer, actually, that I shared with Graham when I came for a coffee with him a couple of weeks ago. It's the prayer that um, Paul um, prays over the church in Colossae. And uh, it's right at the beginning of Colossians, and it's just simply this. And so from this day, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you and me from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins father i do thank you today for your amazing grace lord i thank you that you have such a heart towards us lord you fall in love with us every day Lord, help us to know your love. Help us to really understand the depths of your love for us. Help us to outwork the things that you want to place into our lives. Help us not to quench the blessing that you have for us. And help us to fulfil the plans and the purposes you have for each of us individually and for your church to go into all the world and make you known. You are the hope of the world. And Jesus, we love you and we worship you. Amen.